Hi everyone, this is Abby Fanlow. I'm a PhD candidate in political science at Stanford University, focusing on international relations. And when the Russian invasion of Ukraine broke out, I started sending voice notes to friends, answering their questions, and it grew an interest, so I decided to start a podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. Now let's get started. So today's question is, how is it that Russia's vaunted military, on which Putin has spent um, so much money trying to modernize, has so drastically underperformed expectations? So to answer this, I'm going to start off by quickly recapping the evidence that there is a mismatch between what people expected to happen and what has happened in terms of Russian military performance. And then I'm going to offer a few explanations for that mismatch, which basically boil down to the Russians underestimating Ukrainian resolve to fight and the West overestimating Russian military effectiveness. So people in the West, Western military analysts, but also Russia itself, um, expected the Russian forces to overwhelm Ukrainian defenses very quickly, and therefore to achieve their military objectives of taking major cities, including the capital, very quickly, and thus to achieve their political objective of um, controlling Ukraine and making it into a vassal state pretty quickly. Um, And there are a few reasons why people expected this. One, the Russian army is modern, it's professional, and they've actually undergone a major transformation over the past decade intended at making them more effective. Moreover, in recent history, Russia has been relatively successful in the military operations it has conducted in Syria, um, in Chechnya, in Ukraine in 2014, and in Georgia in 2008. Um, So, as the military buildup was happening on Ukraine's borders, Western military analysts expected Russia to come in with shock and awe and and quickly defeat the Ukrainian defenses, and and leaked documents suggest Putin also expected Russia would um, win within days, if not weeks. However, we have seen something very different. There's been a haphazard Russian offensive from the beginning, nothing like the shock and awe we expected. So an example of this is on the first day, the Russian combat unit that went to the Kyiv airport to try to seize the Kyiv airport, which would have been the first step in Russia sort of um, dominating the Ukrainian skies and having air superiority, um, that combat unit was defeated and eliminated before backup troops could ever even arrive. Second, we've seen these logistical challenges that I've talked about in previous episodes that have really stalled Russian operations. Um, And third, two fronts have sort of ended up in a stalemate, as I talked about in last week's episode. And there's evidence that Russia may even be revising its war aims. On Friday, they said that they were going to be solely focused on um, the Donbass, the eastern region, which is that third front from last week's episode, Um, and and that they're no longer going to be prioritizing the Kyiv fight or southern Ukraine. Um, And who knows if that's actually true, but at the very least, the fact that they're saying this publicly, I think, um, is an indication that the war has not gone as they have expected it to go, and it's certainly not going the way that Western military analysts expected. So there are a few explanations for this mismatch between expectations and Russian military performance on the battlefield. The first is that Russia underestimated the extent to which Ukrainians would put up a fight and therefore planned for a very different military operation than the one they are currently being forced to confront. Um, So there's a lot of evidence that Putin, there are leaked documents suggesting Putin thought that um, the Russian military would quickly overwhelm the Ukrainian army, um, and that basically the Ukrainian army would lay down their arms and sort of 
surrender in the face of vast Russian military superiority. Um, and then the, also the Ukrainian civilians would accept this defeat and just sort of welcome Russian influence and control over their country. Um, and therefore, Putin didn't expect the war to last very long. And, and he thought that even if Western countries sent in sophisticated weapon systems, by the time they arrived, the war would already be over. Um, and so it wouldn't matter much. And then finally, I don't think he expected that Western countries would be so united so quickly to impose these crippling economic sanctions. And so altogether, that basically meant Putin thought he could quickly achieve his military objectives and his political objectives at a pretty low cost to the Russian military and economy. Uh, and because of this, he planned for an operation that would be quick and decisive. He didn't plan for having to utilize massive logistic systems. He didn't plan for having to coordinate across a three-front war. And so now that the war has lasted much longer than expected and Russian forces are being confronted by resistance in various places, um, the Russians are being forced to conduct a war without the supplies and without the manpower that they need to be successful. So essentially, this underestimation of Ukrainian resistance led the Russians to plan for a particular kind of operation, but that hasn't panned out, and so they're not very effective at fighting this war that they didn't plan to fight. Um, and it's a little bit puzzling why they so vastly underestimated the extent of Ukrainian resistance. Um, it's possible that they underestimated the Ukrainian army because back in 2014, they were able to quickly take the Crimean Peninsula without a lot of resistance. But that was a very different case. You know, it's not the entire country. And um, now there's been a lot more time for the Ukrainians to get support from Western countries militarily and to train to confront the Russian army in a larger fight. Um, it's also puzzling why they expected the Ukrainian population to be so acquiescing to Russian control. The whole conflict back in 2014 sorry, started because the president of Ukraine at the time um, was close to Russia and chose a Russian economic deal over cooperation with the EU, which led to these massive protests in the streets by the Ukrainian population because they opposed this sort of closer co cooperation with Russia at the expense of closer cooperation with the West. And so there have been indications that the Ukrainian population would not be particularly welcoming of Russian control. Um, now, I, I think the reason that Putin and, and his advisors so vastly underestimated um, Ukrainian resistance is because they had motivated reasoning to, to believe that the Ukrainians wanted them there. They want to bring Ukraine into the Russian sphere of influence for political reasons. And so they have a motivation to look at all the available information and decide that the operation they're going to conduct is going to be quick and easy. And when you're in an authoritarian information system, it's a lot harder for dissent to be raised and to say, look, um, actually, it's not going to go as you think it's going to go. It's not going to be this easy. And so we need to plan for a longer and more difficult fight. And that's not to say that this sort of motivated bias doesn't happen in democracies. It totally can. And, and some people have pointed that pointed to motivated reasoning as um, explanations for previous wars fought by democracies. But I think it's particularly likely in this case. So the other reason for this mismatch between expectations and what has actually happened in terms of Russian military performance is that Western military analysts overestimated Russian military effectiveness. So the first important point to note here is that 
Russian military power is not the same as Russian military effectiveness. And military analysts know this. And so what they're trying to do when they're trying to estimate military effectiveness is understand how well a country can marshal its military power to achieve certain political aims. Because as I mentioned in the last episode, right, war is just politics by other means. So if you can't use all your military power to achieve your political goals, you're not particularly effective. Um, so seeing Russian success in Syria and in Chechnya in the 1990s at completely subjugating an opposing force and bending the population of a place to their will, I think analysts said, okay, look, Russia can marshal military resources to subjugate an opponent completely. Um, however, of course, the Ukrainian army is not a rebel force. They are a professional, capable army with weapon systems that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Russian army. Second, I think military analysts looked at Russia's ability to seize the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine in 2014 and separatist regions in Georgia in 2008 as evidence that, look, the, the Russians can marshal their resources to take territory. So if their goals in Ukraine are taking territory and subjugating a population, look, they've already proven their effectiveness in these goals. But, but again, with the Ukraine and Georgia examples, um, those were very different. They weren't trying to take an entire country and overthrow a government. Um, and it, so I think altogether, this basically suggests that the information that Western military analysts had about Russian military effectiveness was not actually relevant to this conflict, and that led to overestimating Russian effectiveness in this Ukraine fight. Um, moreover, more casual observers of Russian military prowess, I think just people who aren't necessarily considering Russian ability in the current moment, but over the long arch of history, I think tend to think about it as this massive, invincible power. Um, because the Russians defeated Napoleon and um, were instrumental in the defeat of Nazi Germany. But in both those cases, Russia had a really powerful and capable ally um, and also took very, very large losses. So neither the defeat of Napoleon nor the defeat of Nazi Germany were quick and decisive victories. So even though those were examples where Russia was fighting sort of another um, military and not rebel groups and was taking um, territory, um, they weren't these quick and decisive victories like was expected in Ukraine. Now, I want to caveat that there are a lot of Western military analysts and journalists and foreign policy experts who actually didn't expect Russia to defeat Ukraine really quickly, and they were kind of in the uh, minority. But, but these people really pointed out that, look, Russia has historically shown that doesn't defeat enemies quickly, but instead what it does is fight a war of attrition where it's basically willing to um, take as many losses as necessary until the enemy gives up to achieve its goals. And so I just want to point out that while the consensus was that Russia would defeat Ukraine quickly, there were certainly people who were pushing back on that. Um, and that relates to my next caveat, which is that just because Russia is doing worse than expectations doesn't mean it's going to walk away with its tail between its legs. It has demonstrated in this fight and in previous fights that it is willing to fight until the end, until the enemy gives up, no matter the costs to Russian um, forces and to the Russian country more broadly. Um, Finally, just because Russia has not been effective at marshalling its resources in this conflict doesn't mean it couldn't be effective in another conflict or even be effective in Ukraine if they regroup and change their strategy. So to recap, Ukraine underestimated its potential adversaries' resolve to fight, while Western analysts appear to have overestimated Russian military effectiveness. 
And these don't just help us understand why the Russian military has not lived up to expectations. They also um, sort of reiterate how difficult it can be for states to correctly assess their adversaries' effectiveness and resolve, which in turn can make it very difficult for a state to correctly predict how likely it is to win a conflict um, and how costly that conflict would be. And when you don't have sort of good information about those things, it can be very difficult for the two sides to reach an agreement prior to war because they don't exactly know how costly the war would be or how likely they are to win. Um, and so I just want to leave you with that because I think it helps you sort of learn more about international relations more broadly and foreign policy more broadly, that information problems um, can really be at the heart of war. So today I just wanted to end this episode by thanking you all so much for listening. I've gotten so many nice messages over the past few weeks um, sort of sharing your appreciation for the podcast and I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. Um, so if you're enjoying this, please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts because that's really the best way to know when I'm releasing a new episode. I'm aiming for two per week, but it's a bit difficult for me to get on a regular schedule with my other obligations. So really following and subscribing is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening. I couldn't be more grateful to get to do this and share my thoughts with all of you.